passion, drive, and patience. What brings home the winning trophy is also what keeps your ride or die alive. eBay Motors is everything you need to maintain your vehicle and level it up to peak performance. From superchargers, roof racks, exhaust kits, LED lights, and more, whether you're into speed, power, or style, eBay Motors has you covered. With over 122 million parts for your number one ride or die, you'll always find exactly what you're looking for. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, your part is guaranteed to fit your ride every time or your money back. Because with eBay Motors, you're burning rubber, not cash. With all the parts you need at the prices you want, it's easy to turn your car into the MVP and bring home that win. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. The future is a hefty responsibility and not one that we take lightly. But then taking things lightly has never been what hefty is about. That's why we've created the Hefty Renew program that turns hard to recycle plastics into valuable resources like park benches and building materials. To participate, simply fill up an orange Hefty Renew bag with accepted items, tie it up, and drop it in with your regular recycling. That's it. It's that easy. It's time to rethink recycling with Renew. Particular valued resources may vary by geography. More info available at heftyrenew.com. When Ryan when it's time to begin, it's on the Rewinder Rob with John Pollock and waiting the A team that makes sense of these things we see in the ring every week on TV. It's Rewinder Rob for Monday night, download a Tuesday morning from the post wrestling site. It's Rewinder Rob for Monday night on USA now on the John and Wade take the mic. Hello, everybody, and welcome to Rewinder Raw. I am John Pollock. Getting back into the swing of things here with my executive director of Rewind to Raw, Wei Ting. How are you, Wei? I'm doing very well. I'd like to wish all of our Canadian listeners a very happy Canada Day, of course. Yes. Do you know how old Canada is today? Oh, God. Guess. 151. 152. That's pretty oh, good. Shit. Well, I knew the 150th thing was like last year or the year before, so... I do you know how I always remember the number because they did such a big deal about Canada one two five in nineteen ninety two, and I've just always remembered that that year was one hundred and twenty five, and then I just do the math from there. Well, very quickly, what was the WWE pay per view that took place in January of nineteen ninety two, or sorry, July? Uh, there probably wasn't a pay per view. I just remember that 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 was. Uh, that was. All do right. you not remember how big of a campaign Canada One Two Five was? There were like nonstop commercials for it. That's what I remember about it. I don't remember any wrestling in 1992. All right, okay. I just wanted to see. Well, how are you, Way? How was your weekend? It was very nice. Uh, great weather this weekend. Went to the pool today. It was nice. Ooh. How was yours? Very nice. Welcome back, by the way. Thanks. I had my summer this weekend, and uh, now I'm back and ready for insanity, insanity to begin. So I, I tried to cram like two months into three days. Yeah, very important right before G1 season, which begins this weekend. It begins this Saturday. Uh, they will be in the exact same arena where Raw was tonight, the American Airlines Center. Interesting. Okay. Yeah. I wonder if there are many people going to both shows. Uh, I I doubt there will be as many people there on Saturday as there were on Monday. Right. Well, that is all coming up. Uh, the G1 commences this coming Saturday. And with it, Way, our, our world-renowned G1 Climax coverage begins. That is correct. Starting this Saturday 
And then every single G1 episode that uh, basically takes place, John and I and WH Park will be doing a post-show reviewing said tournament uh, matches. Yes, so you can uh, you can grab every single bonus show we do. Uh, if you're a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, uh, if you sign up now, you get the the entire month's worth of shows, uh, all of our bonus shows, in addition to the G1 show. So that is available now, and that will be your hookup for every single one of our G1 shows to hear Way and I, and if Way has a new grading system that he'll introduce this year or not. I don't think so. I think we're going to stick with last last year's. It worked so well. I, I was planning to bring it back. Yeah, 100%. Yeah. I loved it last year. Yeah. Yeah, every show, like, it, you know, I'm, I'm ready. It's This is like, you know, a 30-day yoga, uh, uh, what is it, challenge. You know, wake up in the morning, watch the wrestling, do a podcast with you, um, and then go about our, our regular routine after that. I'm I'm pumped. I find it daunting. We'll, we'll see where we are in a month. That we will, yes. Uh, so, uh, I do want to make mention... Uh, some great shows over the weekend, uh, including Way, you and Davey doing a fantastic job running down Fighter Fest from Saturday night. That is uh, up there on the site that you can check out as well. We have a post show from WH Park and Chris Thunder talking about the New Japan Southern Showdown card. Uh, we've also got uh, coverage from the weekend from UFC, Ring of Honor. Uh, amazingly, Way, I caught up on just about everything. I watched Fighter Fest, I watched the ROH show. I watched the main fights from the UFC card on Saturday. Uh, the only thing I've not seen is anything from the Australia shows from New Japan. Excellent. Great. Give us your thoughts. Uh, Fighter Fest, I thought, was a very good show. I thought that uh, by the end of it, I think that if you went into this um, only expecting a B show or, or something approximating that, I, I think your expectations would have been exceeded. I thought it was a really strong show. That had, I'll say the the pre-show. I thought that the the strength of the pre-show was the tag match, the three-way tag. That I think that SCU are like your perfect opening match guys to put in, and they did it on the pre-show and they did it on the main show with Christopher Daniels. I really like them in that role, and it's something that we don't have a whole lot in wrestling at the moment. And it was something that was a big staple of the Attitude Era of having the guys that would come out early in the show, whether it be Road Dog or the Godfather. And you just let the crowd sing along with the big chant. And that's something SCU does. It's just a great thing to start the show off with. And they proceeded to have a great tag with Private Party and with the best friends. Um, I thought that other elements of the pre-show really did not land. The the spoof on the Firefest documentary with Matt and Nick backstage. It was interesting to watch them try a clear being the elite sketch without it being on being the elite and it just felt really different and did not hit for me uh trying to do that form of comedy on the show and then michael nakazawa versus alex jibaley i'm sure alex jibaley is a wonderful human being and i'm sure he brings lots behind the scenes but i do not need to see this man wrestle once a year it was once too many for me michael nakazawa on the other hand if you're going to do this kind of a match he is pretty great at it I thought it was hilarious. What about Alex Jabaley? Do you think I, I just feel watching this? It's like I'm sure amongst his group of friends or whatever. It's like, man, this is such an awesome idea. But this is to me, it's almost like the public has to sit through this. And I don't know. I just don't see what this guy really adds to this. I understand he tried very hard in this, but I would rather just be seeing people that 
have an inherent value and are professionals at this than Alex Jabaley. So that would be my negative, I would say, on the pre-show. Um, in terms of the main show, uh, I, I won't run through everything. I I sent you one text when I watched this. I, I was horrified watching that chair shot that Cody took. And I hate everything about the spot. And I also hate the discussion afterwards that they gimmicked this chair. And then there was a mistake with the gimmick chair that led to this. That, that shot of the back of Cody's head was just horrifying. Uh, it's amazing he only needed staples, that it wasn't anything worse. But the fact that there was a concerted effort that, guys, you know what I just wish we were able to do? An unprotected chair shot. Well, you know what? We, we just can't anymore. Well, wait a minute. What if we designed a chair that we could hit someone in the head with? Yes, let's design a gimmick chair so that we can bring back head trauma. Yes, this, this is the thought process that went into this. To, and to what end? I understand it. I mean, it was done to try to introduce a, a level of severity that you don't typically see via something that you don't typically see. And, you know, for whatever reason, I thought Cody and Sean Spears felt like they needed something like this to set off their program and their feud. Uh, you can argue maybe uh, the responsibility, I guess, of a wrestling company, whether or not to, to even promote something like this, even if it was from a gimmick chair shot, you know, does does just simply gi- giving this image uh, to people who otherwise might not really know that it was a gimmick chair um, so that other promotions might feel like, the, oh, it's OK to do unprotected chair shots now. I mean, is it even their responsibility? I don't know. But it was a creative decision on their part that unfortunately backfired. I just think that the reaction you were going to get at best was a high percentage of the audience that just, they understand what this is. And it's not a great reaction that you were going to get to begin with. Even if this went according to plan and people were led to believe that a guy did get hit in the head with, with, with a chair. And and what? They're going to say at the press conference after? Oh, don't worry. It was a gimmick chair. It's like, what, what was the point of this then? I just think it was a case of really overthinking yourselves that you could have done... Uh, you could have you done ma- many, many other uh, ideas that would have gotten the angle over that would have been a hell of a lot safer than this. Uh, and it was just... I don't know. I thought it was just a case of really overthinking things to bring back something that I think they overestimate the fan base really wants to see anyway. Uh, beyond that, though, uh, I, I really like introducing the time limits. I thought it worked well in the Cody and Darby Allen match, and it, it got across the time limit. And with Darby Allen, you had to structure a match that was going to be different than Joey Janela and John Moxley. And I think Darby Allen would have had that style of match on this show if not for what the main event was. So they did something very different in that match. I thought that he, the story was, he hung with Cody and lasted the 20 minutes. And I I really like kind of the introduction of the time limits. It's added something and there was urgency once you got there. There were the updates of the time limits throughout the the entire card so that you paid it off in in one of the matches uh, with those. I thought the six-man was... Phenomenal. It was just a tremendous display. It was just everyone looking great uh, for 20 minutes. And then your main event was, I mean, it's it was the style of match that I, I think it got over very, very effectively in the building. It was a big win for Moxley. And it was something for Janela as well. It was clearly his 
probably his most prominent match he's had in his career, even going so like going back to whatever he's done, the big matches in GCW. I think that this was probably his his biggest spotlight match and he got over in it as the guy that will do essentially anything and I think got over in the process as well. So those were some of the standout moments for me uh, on the show. Um, yeah, I, re- I really enjoyed it though. It was like a very easy show to watch three and a half hours that I thought was paced very well, went by quickly and it just seemed like it was uh, you could you could see the booking of where they're building to and not trying to outsmart your audience by it was, I think, very logical where you could see a lot of the directions going, who it made the most sense to win and kind of laying down that groundwork of where wins are going to mean things. And you're and you're going to advance and just making the guys look look strong that are going into their bigger programs and also trying to mix in something for their opponents as well that. They're just trying to introduce a lot of people and get them over. And I think it's it's the company that has a lot of momentum at the moment. And that is essential to getting stars over when you have that momentum and buzz attached to your product. Any other thoughts on any of the uh, other programming this weekend? Um, the ROH show, I'll just say quickly, I thought they needed to go out on Friday and have a blow away show to really gain everyone's attention. And I don't think they did that with Friday's show. Uh, there was some... Good wrestling on this show. I, I would say the good. I really enjoyed the Dragon Lee Dalton Castle match. It was the best Dalton Castle match I've seen in quite some time. Um, Jay Lethal and Kenny King had a a good match. They traded their finishers, and it ended with Kenny King winning. Uh, and then for whatever reason, the next night at the television tapings, they're setting up Jay Lethal going for the title. So I, I don't know how that will play out on television to explain that logic. Um where the show kind of fell, uh, I was very disappointed with the main event. It was under 10 minutes. Uh, it was not a great match by Jeff Cobb's standards. It was not a good match by Matt Taven's standards, I would say. And it seems that of all the major shows out there with ROH, it's been quite a handful of their main events that get cut off time-wise. Like, they had to rush through this. This was done in under 10 minutes. Uh not the level of you can have a great match in nine and a half minutes, but this was not a great match in nine and a half minutes. And it just seemed that it was a flat ending to the show. And that's kind of how I came out of this show that even, I mean, the six man that they had, that was second from the top. I thought that was a pretty strong performance from those six in particular, Brody King and PCO who just has enormous charisma. Um, So, I mean, you have really strong performers sprinkled out, but an overall product that at the end of the night, I, I don't think it accomplished what you needed to going into this. I think that uh, Jeff Cobb being your representative going into the G1, just losing in such flat fashion to Matt Taven. Um, I don't know. It just it just did not leave me with uh, a whole lot of momentum to build for Ring of Honor coming out of this show. I think if you watched it, it's probably a fine show, but I wouldn't go above saying fine show. I think they have a Massive identity crisis at the moment. I don't think they know what they are trying to do and whether it's uh, right or wrong. Their perception right now is the company that used to have Cody and the Young Bucks and they have put in new talent. But to me, they have not been able to carve out uh, a new mission statement for themselves other than what their past one was a year ago. Mm -hmm. So with that said, uh, that is my weekend report. Um, Shall we go into talk about some 
Okay, sure, we could do that. Oh, first. yeah, w- whichever. I, I'm fine to talk about whatever. Well, I wanted to talk about some of the other shows that were coming up this weekend. Or this week. I well, uh, we've got Rewind to SmackDown on Tuesday night. Uh, Wayne and I will be back for that. And then on Wednesday, uh, the double shot is being uh, suspended during our G1 coverage. And starting things off this Wednesday, we are going to have our G1 primer, where WH Park is going to join the two of us, and we will do an extensive preview of the entire tournament. We will go through the participants, uh, some predictions we may make, uh, where they could be going in each of the blocks, and bring everyone up to speed. If you're unfamiliar with the G1 or maybe some of the performers, uh, we will be going through with an exhaustive preview on Wednesday. Are you, are you all set for the primer way? Uh, I am set, yeah. About as set as I could be, but I'll be kind of using the primer myself to perhaps get a little bit caught up. Then on Thursday, uh, a busy day, we will have Damian Abraham here, here in studio with us for the Cafe Hangout at 3 p.m. Eastern Time. It'll be the final two episodes of The Wrestlers that are airing this Wednesday night, including uh, Damian's trip to the Democratic Republic of Congo. One of the most bizarre wrestling-themed episodes of any of any genre you can imagine. It was uh, this is something. This episode, yeah, yeah. I don't think I've actually seen this one yet, so I look forward to watching it myself uh, and talking about it with Damien. He there's a reason he saved this one for last. Um, so we'll be talking yes. about that. We'll be chatting with Damien about that. We'll also be uh, going through all the weekend cards that are coming up uh, on the Hangout, taking your phone calls, maybe get some G1 predictions. Uh, we'll also have Up Next Out with Davey and Braden on Thursday. And Cody Saftik is going to be returning uh, to chat with me. We'll be going over uh, UFC 239 this weekend. They've also got the uh, the annual Hall of Fame ceremony and some of the action that went down last weekend. We will be discussing along with whatever other news is out in the next couple of days. Friday, it is our monthly Ask Away mailbag show for members of the Post Wrestling Cafe. You can still submit your questions. Way and I will be going through each and every question uh, for the month of July, and that will be out on Friday for patrons. And then we go into the weekend, a very busy weekend. As we mentioned, it's our G1 Climax post show on Saturday night. We will be live after the card from Dallas, Texas, and we will have two new editions of Cruel Summer. On Saturday, WH is joined by... Wei Ting himself, he's making his cruel summer debut to chat the 2001 final between Keiji Muto and Yuji Nagata. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. It's actually a really great match. So I encourage everybody to check it out on World um, and uh, listen to me, me and WH talk about it. And then Sunday, WH brings back Dylan Fox. Uh, from the Eastern Lariat podcast, they'll be chatting the 2002 final between Masahiro Chono and Yoshihiro Takayama. And Sunday night, Nate Milton will be with me. We are going to watch Slammiversary, and we will have a full review of that show here on the site. What a week. Huge week, yeah, but this is not even, I mean, G1 is barely started this week, so it's going to be that much crazier. Um, And uh, on the topic of the G1, I want to remind everybody, you have until Thursday, Thursday, to submit your picks for our G1 contest, postwrestling.com slash G1. The form is there. You need to be... You need to select picks for basically every single match. And so be prepared to at least spend a good 10 minutes unless you just want to randomly blind, blindly pick, make your picks. You could do that too. But you need to get your entries in before Thursday, July the 4th at 11.59 p.m. Eastern. So midnight, uh, basically on Thursday night is when you have to get your entries in. Free to join. And if you win, you will be immortalized in post-wrestling 
and our history to win the G1 contest. Maybe blind picks will work. Um, in some cases, I'm sure. Yeah. But on the topic of prizes, the top three finishers this year will be receiving post-wrestling ice cap care packages, which include our exclusive audio cassette, uh, rewind Whoa. away lapel pin, a coaster, stickers, sleeves, and a signed postcard from John and myself. And uh, maybe for the grand prize winner, we'll throw in a, a t-shirt as well. Did you say the elusive, mysterious cassette will be going to the top three yeah. finishers? Yes, we recently heard from uh, um, <laughs> last week um, Brent Brent Nickel, who works on a farm. For people who listen to Rewind Away, uh, who we we did our Canadian Stampede uh, Rewind Away on Friday, and he told us that he listened to his cassette because he didn't have a cassette player. The only place where he could listen to it was his tractor, and his dad managed to find this cassette in his tractor and asked what it was. Um, and he told his dad, oh, this is that podcast I listened to from those guys in Canada. Um, so, you know, um, it's part of the appeal of like putting out cassettes is us hearing where everybody has managed to listen to them. Um, and I don't know if anybody can beat a tractor thus far. So if you manage to get one, let us know how, where you listen to it. Yeah. Send us a picture of what you are listening to this cassette on. I'd be very curious myself. All right, so get in all of your picks. You can go to postwrestling.com slash G1 to enter all of your picks now before Thursday night at midnight. All right, uh, I think we should get uh, we should do our giveaway, and I think, think we should get right into Raw because I think that there is uh, that is kind of going to be the source of the news tonight. Sure, let's do it. All right, well, if you are a member of the Post Wrestling Cafe, you are entered into a draw each and every Monday if you are... Recently signed up, well, every Monday during this G1, you have a chance to win a post-wrestling prize pack. And that's what we're going to do right now. Way has the entire list of entrants in front of him. He is going to search, he is going to choose, and he is going to open up that person's name. He is going to look at the pronunciation. He's going to go over it in his head, and he is going to give it his best try as he announces the winner is. Congratulations to... Warren Haney. Warren Haney from Ottawa, Ontario. Our nation's capital. How appropriate on Canada Day. Congratulations, Warren. You win a post-wrestling combo pack consisting of a t-shirt, a postcard, stickers, and a coffee sleeve. That's wonderful. Did you did you venture out to a Mandarin today? Did you see any of the lineups? I did not. I did not leave. I did not pass by a Mandarin, so I can't I couldn't tell. The lineups were insane. I did not go to one, but I saw photos online and videos of the lineups for the all-you-can-eat Mandarin. Well, I mean, whatever publicity that they wanted out of this stunt, that I mean, I'm sure they got. So, a uh, good stunt for Mandarin. I I hope uh, all the all the people that worked there got tipped well. You want to know my my quick Canada Day story for you, Way? Just a a nice interaction I had today. I was yeah. Uh, before Raw, I went to go get a decaf coffee. And I was walking home, I had my headphones on, and this guy was like, I thought he was like waving at me. He was just like walking next to, like just ahead of me on the sidewalk. So I took my headphones off. I'm like, pardon? It's like, I just wanted to say hello. It's like, oh, hi. It's like, are you doing good? And I said, yeah, I'm doing great. I hope you are as well. And he said, happy Canada Day. It's like, happy Canada Day. 
And then we went on our way. Nice little wow. uh, message. I mean, that's so unusual. I'm almost like, you know, your first instinct is just to get weirded out. But um, yeah, that's nice. I was like, no, it was. Uh, yeah, you're gonna stab me. I just want to say hello, and yeah, I mean, maybe he was eyeing my my decaf, but um, hmm. maybe he realized it was decaf. It's like, ah, uh, not worth the attack. Um, but anyway, that was my Canada Day story. Why well, I didn't have much more to share other than that. Well, how pleasant. Uh, you said you went swimming today. Where'd you go swimming? A uh, community pool. It was really nice. Oh, okay. Yeah, outdoors. Yeah, of course. I was outside most of the day. It was very hot. Yeah. Went to uh, uh, just by Ontario Place. Uh, what? Okay. Just the waterfront area. Oh, okay. Nice. I, I bought uh, two hot dogs and a beer for $23. How come? That's just, those are the waterfront prices, I guess. Was this like a, like a place you had to pay entry to get to? No, nope, no. Nope. This was just a... Uh, like there's the waterfront area where it's like you just you just walk. There's like a big pathway and stuff, and then they had these vendors, and I went up and I and I bought said food, and, and it was like twenty three dollars. I was like, wow, that's a lot of money, and I paid it. So it, it was a good hot dog. I won't lie. It probably tasted better because you paid so much for it. Yeah, I forced myself to have that much more satisfaction. Yeah. All right, I know everyone downloaded this to find out about uh. My, my, my thoughts on hot dogs and such, but let us get into raw from Monday night. Is there anything else you want to touch on before we dive into the show? I'll let you know what I ate today uh, off air. Oh, okay. Should I have saved mine for off the air? No, no. Oh, okay. I'm, mine, mine wasn't that exciting. That's all. All right. Raw. This was the, I don't want to call it the big show because I don't think anyone was going into this expecting, uh, like the whole show to be torn apart. But I think that there was certainly curiosity and to see knowing the fact that Paul Heyman is there and what kind of influence was he going to have? I think that is still going to be uh, speculated upon, but certainly uh, going into this show, I I think there was heightened curiosity. And I think that will translate to the viewership this week, uh, because if you did tune in out of curiosity, they certainly designed this show to hold your attention. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, I would go as far as to say if you were tuning into this program, perhaps expecting some of uh, uh, Paul Heyman's influence in in the style of show, you might have come out pretty satisfied. Um, I mean, I assume at this point, neither of of us know exactly how much involvement Paul Heyman really had, unless you do, John. Um, Well, I mean, he was he was obviously there. He is in this role. Um, I think it's fair to assume that he is probably taking a, a much more, um, I guess the term would be like a more active role. I think it'll be curious to know kind of how how the production meeting was run. Uh, that I do not know how much um, say so Heyman had this first week. I mean, from what we had been led to believe, like this was going to be roles that they were eased into and not just one gigantic change this week. It was going to be something that is progressive. And also worth noting is that it's been consistent that at the end of this all, this is still Vince McMahon. That is the final say so. So I think that has to be included as well in, in all of this. But, yeah. no, but knowing what they did last week, you, you would see, you would sense that he would certainly be more open. You would say to different ideas and 
what would be presented this week because you had to come out this week and could not just present the same show as last week. There was that like this was the week to do things that were going to at least have some some effect on people tuning in to see what kind of show am I getting this week. And I feel like from the response that I, I personally had to the show, I feel like they accomplished that. This felt like a different show from last week. Um, in many ways, it felt similar. Um, you still had a lot of the same, I would say, maybe tropes and kind of the, the odd uh, things such as the two out of three falls happening. Um, so it was not a script that I would say was completely changed, um, not, not a format that was completely different, different from last week. But certain elements did feel new um and uh we can go on and talk about what those things were yeah it it felt like a show where you were going into the wwe system and you are not getting to press the reset button all the storylines are intact we're still doing things vince mcmahon's way but you would have wiggle room within there to to play around with the existing parts that's kind of what the show felt like a compromise yes so it starts off, uh, they had announced this already going into the show, a false Count Anywhere match between Braun Strowman and Bobby Lashley. And that was wh- how we were going to start the show. And they came out right out of the gate with a pretty intense match. There was a spear to Braun very early on. And then Bobby runs into a shoulder tackle on the floor. Braun follows up with a senton. They fight into the crowd. Lashley has a chair. Strowman then runs across the floor, shoulder tackling Braun. I was so worried about this guy just slipping on the floor and blowing out his ACL. This was a long stretch of ground that this man was was running across. Well, um, that that's always a danger when you're running. Yeah. There was a Beal that sent Bobby onto the stage, and then uh, Lashley vertical suplex Braun onto the stage, and as Braun sets up for a spear, uh, or Bobby is setting up for the spear, Braun shoulder tackles Bobby through the LED screen. These explosions go off. Corey yells, holy shit. And the crowd is just cheering on this chaos. Uh, There's fire extinguishers from the the guys in the back as they're worried about these guys, I guess, catching fire. John Cone is in there. Corey Graves leaves the broadcast booth to go check on them. And then they cut to this aerial shot over top all of the carnage. And they just keep it static on this aerial shot for, it had to have been three or four minutes. And you can just watch the EMTs approaching. The crowd starts counting to 10, I guess, to end the match for themselves. But this, this to me was something where this was a, this felt like a Paul Heyman idea. Because it wasn't so much just the construction of the segment it was also how the segment looked doing something different a different camera angle and if you were flipping through the channels and you saw this you would have a hundred percent been stopping to see what was going on here absolutely i mean just to compare this segment this these 10 15 minutes of raw to i think your traditional start to raw you know guy comes out another guy comes out uh, another guy comes out and then another guy comes out and then they all have a match Compare that to this, it's a world of difference how this Raw started. It sucked you right in. The match itself was very intense, but it all led up to that one big spot that really obviously caught your attention. But it more so than, I think, going through the LED board, it was the treatment and how they how they produced it that really caught my eye. And like you said, John, it, it cut to a camera um, 
that almost, you know, tried to make it look like it was just some type of security camera that was propped up there anyway. Um, it was not overproduced in that they didn't have multiple angles of the stunt. They didn't have a GoPro set up behind the screen. There's no constant shaking around even of a camera operator trying to track the carnage after the fact. It was all done to make you think that this was not supposed to be seen. Uh, and we all know, we all, all watch enough wrestling to know that, okay, this is, you know, obviously all planned. But all of this just at least helps you suspend your disbelief, which is a lot more than I think how, you know, in the past when they've tried these stunts and maybe overproduced, overshot a lot of those those uh, camera angles, they they do kind of tend, tend to take you out of these things. But this was perfect no commentary of course um cory graves chant you know being allowed to say holy shit on air was another thing that they were able to get away with that i think just maybe added a bit more to the buzz of it and and to me uh, maybe another indicator that we are in a slightly different period uh with different producers or, or different it's a different tone it's maybe a slightly more, more mature show but it was pulled off so well that I don't think, you know, when they went to break, there was really no danger of anybody turning away. You know, when you pull off a stunt as well as this, everybody's going to be curious for for the show to come back to see what the mysteriousness of it all, um, how it would unfold. So for all this worrying about like, you know, how are we going to get the commercial break to make sure people stick around? I mean, I guess when you have something like this, there's really no worry. Yeah, the the commercials were handled so much better this week mm-hmm. on Raw of coming up with natural reasons to break and not lose the flow. Uh, another thing I really liked about the camera angle, the other option would have been crowd shots that I think would have been way too close to like the Owen Hart treatment that I was really glad they didn't do um, and just did something totally different that they've never done before. Just this static aerial shot that I thought was looked different, felt different and to me was i think that's what people are craving and it's it's a small thing it's a camera angle but it just shows you that there is a there is just an openness now to trying new things that i think everyone hopes is just a microcosm of what this ultimately means that there is going to be a, a wider view of kind of how we can present things well what's nice is that i mean they've been trying new things pretty much all all several months now uh with with i don't know with the failing ratings but to me, this was one of the few times where the new thing that they were trying was actually good and didn't seem to indicate just going in the wrong direction, whether it be the wild card rule or even something like the 24-7 title, which has turned out to be a decent addition to the show, but hardly anything that would make you that much more confident that the show was going to be, uh, you know, uh, changing for the better as a, as a, as a grander gesture. Uh, but this felt like it was something that you know, was not insulting to your intelligence. And that really kind of helped you get sucked into the, the wrestling storyline. Could, could you have done without the, uh, the pyro? Um, I thought it was fine. You thought there was that, too many sparks. Ah, uh, it was just, to me, it, it's a callback to whenever they do this spot that they have to do the pyro. It's a little much for me, but not, uh, segment killing or anything like that. If if I had to quibble one thing, um, afterwards Braun is being loaded into the ambulance. Uh, both men are taken off, and Corey mentions that Braun's legs were not moving at all, which is, I guess, the closest we got to teasing uh, some kind of paralysis. Uh, and Cole then says 
The WWE does its best to protect the performers, but sometimes they are not equipped to handle a situation. And then the show continued with this giant gap in the LED screen where they had crashed through. And instead of just this being a segment that you pack into a box and move on over, this bled into the rest of the show. They constantly brought this up. They mentioned them. Uh, They did not really have updates, but you had various performers uh, sending out their wishes to both guys and kind of keeping this thread throughout the entire three hours. So you did not forget this and you certainly not. This was not, this was the dominant thing on the show. I thought it was a really smart decision to have this stunt start the show. Um, You know, for one thing, it's probably the period of the program where you have your most eyeballs and to make sure that all of them were, were, were sticking around today. I think to, to have this big stunt off the top was a great idea, obviously, but then, you know, it allowed the rest of the roster to react to it, to constantly remind you, that this thing happened, you know, obviously they can cut the replays, but just simply seeing that hole in the, in the LED for the rest of the show was a reminder that, hey, this was ha- this thing happened and that it it was a big deal. So I, I really like the positioning of this on on, on this par- uh, part of the show rather than, you know, for later, th- later on. And not to be forgotten, I thought this was the most intensity Bobby Lashley had showed since he came back to WWE in the preceding minutes before the angle at the end. Absolutely, yeah. Our first match, or second match of the show, Big E and Xavier Woods are out to take on the Viking Raiders, and they are not out with Kofi Kingston, who they explain is getting ready for Extreme Rules. And they got the heat on Big E, and as he's crawling towards his corner, Samoa Joe appears, attacking Woods, and the DQ is called after 240, and this prompts Kofi Kingston to run down, and he attacks Joe. Ivar joins in, and... I keep forgetting that the Viking Raiders are heels, uh, but this was our reminder. And they aligned themselves with Joe, and we came back from a commercial break, and we had a six-man tag. Yeah, so, you know, this was, I guess, they're another way of, of, you know, building a commercial break into what I would assume was always just going to be a six-man tag anyway. Um, you know, that said, I don't know what, the need to promote this match beforehand. This was one of the few things they did promote before the show was this tag team match between the Viking Raiders and the New Day. Um, I have no problem, like, you know, getting Joe to interfere so that you can build to a six-man tag afterwards. But, I mean, I I, I wonder why this was the match that you wanted to promote beforehand rather than something that actually did take place the way it was intended. And what they promoted was which two members of the New Day will be taking on the Viking Raiders. Like, they promoted, like, it would be this mystery as to which two it would be, and... It was just, well, Kofi's getting ready for Extreme Rules. Well, he's actually in the back right now uh, having a water. Hmm. So our six-man tag, they got the advantage on Woods. Uh, Graves mentions that Kofi Kingston and Samoa Joe, he has heard, will be a ladder match at Extreme Rules, but that is just a rumor. Well, we'll come back to that. Rumors often come true. Uh, eventually, Kofi gets the hot tag. He's in with Ivar. Eric nails him with a knee. Big E then clears the ring. He goes for a dive. He's stopped by a knee. Ivar successfully hits a suicide dive onto Woods. And then Kofi nails Ivar with a trouble in paradise when Joe comes from behind, applies the coquina clutch, and Kofi passes out at 7 minutes and 13 seconds. Uh, I really hope these two are not having a ladder match because it kind of makes no sense based on the buildup to this that Joe attacked him and choked him out cold. Then this week, he choked him out cold again. And we're going to have a match where the Coquina Clutch 
has no bearing on the ending. Well, if you choked him out, that would allow Joe to climb the ladder uh, uncontested. Well, I think that that would be... A, you, I, I don't see why we need to have a ladder match between these two. Yeah, I mean, ladder doesn't necessarily make sense. I mean, that you're talking about extreme rules, though, where um, you're going to get a lot of stipulations that are just stipulations for the sake of them. Um, you know, it makes sense for Kofi because he's a high flyer. Maybe Joe isn't. They Do they need a reason for it? It would obviously make the match better. Um, there's a, I feel like it, you might just kind of get it, though. Um, but it's, it's a, it's a draw, I would say, you know, it adds something to the match. Um, but I love the finish. I love the booking of it. I think, you know, it's a perfect finish for a title challenger, makes Joe look like a killer, legitimizes him as a contender. And I hope Kofi sells the hell out of this. You know, I hope he shows some fear of Samoa Joe, not, you know, constantly putting him out, um, so that he, he builds that Kakina clutch up. As something that he absolutely has to avoid if he wants to keep his title. We went backstage and Drake Maverick is with his new wife, Renee Michelle, who has gotten onto Raw. She is blindfolded and then he reveals that he has brought her to Raw ahead of their honeymoon. And she is not happy about this. They run into Dana Brooke and then she tells Drake that she is that he is obsessed with the title and gives him an ultimatum. It's either her or the 24-7 title. And he pauses before saying, of course I choose you. And then he hugs her. And there is our truth behind them who says he's a sucker for romance. And Drake is just eyeing our truth while he's holding his wife. <laughs> Drake Maverick was just fantastic here. I thought all three were really great throughout the show, including obviously Drake Maverick. But also our truth I thought played played his role wonderfully. But let's give it up for Renee Michelle, who, again, Drake Maverick is absolutely, the man is a genius. Not only has he been getting a consistent storyline, consistent airtime on Raw, but the man got his wife a job here. Um, And it all makes sense. It's all really set up perfectly. And she's a good performer in the role. So I, I have no issues with this at all. They also did a good job setting this up on social media beforehand. You know, throughout the week, they were tweeting things like uh, they had finally made up uh, and that uh, they were about to go on their honeymoon. So this was, you know, some setup uh, took place online as well. If this guy was able to maneuver this idea to get the WWE to film them on their honeymoon and write off his honeymoon, then this guy is the new locker room politician. Oh, my God. Yeah. Anderson and Gallows, who were in more segments tonight than I think they've been in the last two years combined, are with AJ Styles and mentioned how they looked good last week, but they still lost to the Viking Raiders. And then they note, well, you almost lost to Ricochet and you didn't look so great yourself. And Anderson doesn't think AJ could beat Ricochet for the title and is willing to put his hot Asian wife on the line in what Michael Cole calls a friendly competition between the two. Yeah. I know like the hot Asian wife thing is like Anderson's thing, but there's no context set up at all for it for a WWE fan. I don't even know if it's really set for like a new Japan fan. I don't know where, like, I guess they would, he would have mentioned this on his podcast and shit like that. I think for a lot of people, it just sounded a little confusing, if not even a little off putting. Um, but that said, I do feel like they managed to show a good deal of personality here a lot more than, than in the past. 
the next mismatch challenge is gearing up to have some brand new pairings. Later tonight, we were going to get a mixed tag. We've got now Drake and Renee. We've got AJ and Wendy. We've got Carl Anderson and his hot Asian wife. Yeah. Limitless opportunities. Cesaro was in the ring as No Way Jose came out, and that was a that's everyone's cue that we're getting an angle and not a match. Drake and Renee are seated in the front row, and R-Truth is in the conga line and starts dancing in front of them, and then Cedric Alexander and all the other 24-7 guys run down, chasing Truth to the back. Cesaro then nails Jose to the floor and hits him with a gut-wrench suplex and a neutralizer and leaves. Yeah. Um, I really love the stuff with, with Drake and Truth. I mean, um, the whole story of the show from ne- from this point on is whether or not Drake can truly, like, you know, um, uh, withhold himself from going after R-Truth out of, you know, um, respect for his wife to prove that he, he, he loves his wife more than the belt. And just the way he, he manages to sell the look on his face and his wife as well. Staring it down at him when he knows that he's been considering it. I thought those two were were excellent. They were very funny. And I guess the attack with Cesaro afterwards, I mean, I almost didn't really see the point to it. But I mean, I would think that perhaps it was just to make Cesaro not look like a complete joke. Because he basically played like, you know, the Mojo Rawley role in the background um, of this 24-7 match. So maybe it was just for Cesaro to save face. But I don't know how much he really gained out of this either way. It could have been worse. He could have joined the the race to go after the twenty four seven title. Mm-hmm. So maybe he has that going. Maybe forward. this is a feud they're building. No way, Jose and Cesaro. Maybe upward and onward. Charlie is in the back and brought in the NXT Tag Champions, the Street Profits, Angelo Dawkins and Montez Ford, and they just cut uh, a promo about needing some flavor, leading to Montez Ford. Going to say finally before Dawkins stopped him. And they said that the they are here on Raw to bring swag back way. And they want the smoke. And then they start dancing. I cannot do a Street Profits promo justice, but this was fantastic. And these guys were great in both segments that they were in tonight. Montez Montez Ford's charisma is off the charts. Um I thought bo- and Dawkins is the best hype man. Like he plays off Ford so well on all these promos. Yeah. I thought they made a fantastic first impression already right out, out of the gate. They already have more personality than half of that tag roster, if not more. Um, if you compare this debut to like that of the Viking Raiders, there is no comparison. Really, if you compare, I would say even this debut to any of the NXT call-ups thus far this year, I don't know if there's that much comparison. It is... Somewhat confusing why it it is not so much that the Street Profits are being called up, but at this point where they are still the tag champions. Yeah, yeah, it's that's kind of one of those things where you you wonder what's going on backstage. You know, did somebody specifically make this request to get these two up? I will say, like having the belts on them on Raw immediately lets the viewer know that these two are players and that they're not necessarily just you know two random tag team wrestlers. They're all, they are two guys who have accomplished things in the past, including uh, NXT Tag Team Championship. Sarah Schreiber was with The Miz, and he mentions Lashley and Braun and how he wouldn't wish that uh, any of that uh, to happen to either of them. 
They recap the beating he took last week in the two out of three falls match to Shane McMahon and Elias. Tonight, they will have a rematch, and he's going to send Elias back to being an out-of-work musician looking for change. And he has heard the rumor that The Undertaker might be here tonight to go after Drew McIntyre. And they were pushing this with The Undertaker throughout the first hour that he may be here in Dallas. Shane McMahon came out with Drew McIntyre, and he got Mike Rome to do what had to have been the roughest introduction to date uh, for the best in the world, Shane McMahon. They made fun of their attack on Roman Reigns from last week and how he begged The Undertaker to come help him. And they were surprised. And they are going to be put into the ground at Extreme Rules. So is that the gimmick match? We have a Buried Alive match, maybe. I mean, the way that, that they were building up this feud, it was it's either that or some type of, like, I don't know, embalming match, something to do with death. I mean, they just beat Miz in one of them last week. In what? It was, uh, it was an attempt. Drew calls The Undertaker the greatest legend in the history of WWE. But he is no ordinary man, and he is not afraid. And he's challenging The Undertaker to come out and look him in the eye because he's going to exterminate his legacy at Extreme Rules. So the lights flicker. They go dark. The lightning shoots down. And then the lights go on. No one's there. But then The Undertaker's gong hits. And he comes out. And this was like an eight-minute walk down the ramp until he finally got into the ring. And then The Undertaker got onto the microphone. First, he said... Contrary to popular belief, I was not a murderer. And then he says, Roman Reigns never asked for his help. That's not who he is. And he has been the reaper of wayward souls for a long time. And he's here to collect their souls. And Shane McMahon had his respect for a while after their Hell in a Cell match. But he fell victim to his own greed and ego. And Shane may be the best in this world. But where he's going to send them to, they will have the acrid stench of death for all eternity, and they will never rest in peace. Way the acrid stench of death match. Hmm. It's a sentence that I think if uttered by any other wrestler in this world would not work, but because it's The Undertaker... It has to sound like that. Like, I find it so amusing that, you know, we're kind of in an era of pro, pro wrestling where we de- demand so much realism. We're talking about that opening segment uh, and, you know, that that static shot. And we're just like gushing over how, wow, like it feels so real or they did, they're doing such a good job. Yet here we have The Undertaker talking about, you know, taking souls. And everybody, as far as I could tell in this live audience, absolutely love this. This was like, I thought, a showcase of everything that we still love about this character, you know, in ring, he probably hasn't been the same for a while, but as a character, I think he's still as good as he ever was. It's the long entrance. It's the, you know, the hat, the, the trench coat, the slow talking promo, threatening to take their souls, rest in peace. Like he still does all this stuff that I think we all demand of this nostalgic character that we, we all grew up with. And I thought it was a great promo for the undertaker. What I took from this segment is, it really feels like this is a setup for Drew and The Undertaker at SummerSlam. Yeah, I did too. Given like, you know, everything that Drew specifically fo- uh, focused on, uh, uh, said about The Undertaker in his promo, um, 
And he really is the only fresh opponent. I mean, he's already faced Shane. Nobody really wants to see that again. Um, Drew versus Taker seems like a great match, especially for for Drew. I think Drew should win that match at SummerSlam. Oh, like, that yeah. That should be a bit a uh, promoted match at SummerSlam. And, I mean, it's ambitious. I think doing a singles match with The Undertaker is now considered ambitious. Um, but that's totally what this segment felt like. I, and, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I ho- I hope they're you know I I certainly have a, a a way more faith in a Drew McIntyre than let's say a Bill Goldberg, but even that Bill Goldberg match was perfectly fine until you know uh, Bill suffered that that concussion. So I I, I if if Taker is in uh, as good of a shape as he is for as he was for for Super Showdown, I feel like they could do a good job. And that's how that ended. No Roman Reigns on this show, um, so that was kind of the build up for the tag match. We went back and we had this um, very interestingly blocked promo segment where Baron was like leaning against this uh, like cabinet while Lacey was staring into the mirror so we could see her as she was applying her makeup and like Mojo Raleigh's mirror, her dress. Yeah, the the, you're right. Mojo's now lost his mirror and his dark room. (laughs) It's all been shelved. So Baron. Uh, they've mentioned over the weekend that this will be, or they mentioned it Monday. It's going to be an extreme rules match in the mixed tag at extreme rules. And Baron asks why Seth would risk it all for his latest fling and ask if she's really worth it. And Lacey has seen Seth's wandering eyes backstage and he'll realize he should not have put his faith and trust into the man. And we cut back. The undertaker is still leaving the arena. So I don't even know if those in the crowd even saw this, but that was our promo uh, with Corbin and Lacey Evans. Yeah. Um, it Bar- Baron staring right into the camera. Like this was, this was definitely blocked uh, kind of differently. Done a little bit differently. And I had no issue with it. Um, I think, I think it was maybe a little telling too how little Baron Corbin we got on this show. Like he didn't have a match. He only came out with Lacey. Um, and rather than, you know, have it stick him out there for like a, a 10 minute promo, I, I feel like this worked way better. A pre-taped segment that took away maybe what, two minutes. I think they're way better backstage, uh, in a segment like this than in front of a live audience talking for 10 minutes. And that's what we went to next. Lacey Evans versus Natalia. And of course <laughs> they mention uh, Seth and Becky are shown watching backstage and Michael Cole informs us, of course, Seth is Becky's boyfriend. Man, they've they're really hammering it hard. Um, they should have they should have shirts that say, "I'm with Seth, I'm with Becky," and arrows pointing across. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's it's getting a little obnoxious, like <laughs> uh, to the point where I have oh, to. Th- there's more to come. Believe me. Yeah. I mean, anyway, yes. Evans uh, trips her from the apron, and then Corbin tries to distract, and Natalia stops a roll-up, hits a discus clothesline, slaps Lacey. Uh, I don't know how many times Michael Cole referred to the sassy Southern Belle in this three-and-a-half-minute match. But my God, it's like a, like a piercing that goes off. Uh, Corbin tripped Natalia, and everyone booed Corbin when he tripped Natalia, and it allowed Evans to hit the woman's right and win this in 332. Just a quick match, and that was kind of the story of a lot of the matches on Raw tonight. They were quick television matches that were just designed to be fast-moving, and 
not leave anyone in there too long or have to deal with commercial breaks. Definitely. Yeah. I mean, I feel like, you know, the first couple weeks were definitely some growing pains, but I feel like this week and I started with last week's SmackDown, I would say, is when I feel like they definitely improved and maybe come come to like a, a bit of a formula that's worked a lot better as far as, you know, limiting your two out of three falls matches and coming up with other creative ways to take commercial breaks without um, interrupting a match. Uh, and, and if the solution is to give us, you know, th- three minute matches, I prefer that than, you know, a random two out of three falls match for no reason. Charlie was with Ricochet, who, oh, if anyone goes back to watch this, okay, Charlie is doing like all her exposition and explaining that last week was a good week for Ricochet because he got to headline Raw and Ricochet smiles. But it was also a bad week for you because you lost and he sulks. And it's just this change of facial expressions. And it was like, man, I don't know. Um, it's just really comical at times to watch Ricochet react. And he then starts talking that if he and AJ had another match, he could probably beat him. And Charlie's next question was, if they had a rematch, do you think you might make any mistakes? Thankfully, we didn't get an answer. I really want to know, Ricochet, do you doubt yourself? Do you think you'll make mistakes? Anderson Gallows walk in. They say that Styles didn't want to embarrass him, and he had Ricochet beat from the get-go last week. Ricochet responds, I am confident in my abilities. And then Anderson and Gallows say, well, you might be in trouble tonight with someone else. Yeah. Well, I mean, this... uh. It's it sets up the the next segment, but I I want to talk a little bit about Ricochet. I think it's clear from you know watching the show that they are trying to push him, and I think the you know his biggest weakness that everybody can see is his ability to cut a promo. So that is probably the reason why you're getting people like Charlie really leading him in in segments like this, um, and really just kind of relying on Ricochet to react. Uh, unfortunately, what little Ricochet did he have to say even here, he kind of stuttered and stumbled. So. Maybe still, you know, getting rid of some of those uh, nervous jitters uh, in front of the microphone. Um, but it's going to take experience, and I think it's going to take time before he really finds his voice. I hope he finds it soon, though, because he's clearly being geared up for, like, a big role. And, you know, this is kind of like the one one thing that I would say in there is probably keeping him back in their eyes. I, I, think, I, I think all those points are right, and I think it's also, like, this is a guy that... I think it's very hard to find your voice when you really don't have a story. Like you are a guy that's a great wrestler. And this guy is scripted with lines like, I believe that I will get him next time. Like, I I, I don't know how much you can do with like some of what they have here. Like he's just such a, a personality that has not been developed. So it's very hard for this guy to find a voice with something that is, is so plain. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, you know, you you take a good promo though, and I feel like they would be able to make something out of even something as simple as that. Obviously, Ricochet is not that person. He's not even expected to be that person. I do feel like he would be able, like, you can add some flavor to saying something as simple as that though. I think if this guy were to do one of those chronicles, I think you'd have a completely different person. Yeah. 
like like it would be one of those where people that have only watched him on the main roster would watch and be like, I can't believe this is the same guy I listened to on Raw. Yeah, and absolutely. It would just be, I think, very beneficial to be able to see him in a different light than the backstage at Raw. Yeah, or talking smack, you know, like, I mean, Apollo Crews is very much like that same type of guy. And we've kind of seen, you know, them give up on a guy like him, unfortunately, due to shortcomings such as this. So I hope it doesn't happen with, to Ricochet. After the break, Gallows and Anderson find Styles, and they start telling him that Ricochet said that he could beat AJ in his sleep and would defend his title against him. And Styles says, well, I'm going to go have a talk with him. And they mock AJ for losing his edge and saying the old AJ would slap that young punk across the face. So AJ says, well, I'm going to go find him. And amazingly, he was right around the corner. Couldn't have been in closer proximity. And he goes right up to him. And tells him he's taking his title from him tonight. Ricochet offers his hand. AJ slaps him. Ricochet slaps him back. And AJ says, this is going to be good. He walks off. I thought this was great. You know, like, last week they built this matchup basically as just, oh, it's happening. And if you think that both these guys are really good wrestlers, you're going to get really excited for it. And even that was enough to, like, stick, keep a lot of people for, to, to stick around. But this week they actually added a bit of story to it. And by doing something, you know, relatively as simple as this, as getting, you know, Gallows and Anderson to basically be manipulators here to rile both men up, I thought it added a lot to the match. The slaps, to me, totally made it. Took it from just, uh, you know, a hot rematch between two good guys to a heated rematch between two guys with a bit of story attached to it. It also helps build Gallows and Anderson, who I think are shown to be a lot more than just pranksters at this point. They, they are psychological manipulators of their friends. And, and, and non-friends alike. So uh, I thought it was a, a win for everybody. Yeah, this was good. And it kind of set up the, the big story for the main event as well. Elias was in the ring. He went to play the guitar. And immediately the Miz's music cut him off. And they go into their two out of three falls match. Miz goes after Elias. He attacks him. The bell rings. He hits a skull-crushing finale and pins him in nine seconds. Michael Cole then announces that they will take their next commercial break after the second fall. So, so I guess I guess we're getting three falls. <laughs> That's a great <laughs> point. Um, so like I guess there's no set time li- uh between like in these intervals. It can either be like ten seconds or three minutes. What what if the second fall went twenty minutes? No commercial breaks for twenty minutes. No commercial, I guess. I guess what if it went we, for three then, hours. Yeah. Elias fights back. He there, hits there, there's away. a lot that still doesn't work about this whole thing, you know. Oh, this should this should not have been a two out of three falls match. We got two not. falls in ninety seconds. I mean, the, and the, yeah. the I think if anything, it it they've been started to fix a lot of these issues, and we've seen uh, on this particular episode only one two out of three falls match. That's all. That's got to be a record in these three weeks. But if anything, I think it tells you that in the past two weeks, when they initially began all this. They really didn't think it through and instead was just like, what's the easiest way we can insert a commercial break into this? Why don't we make a two out of three falls match? Why don't we do an elimination match? It required like it was just lazy, you know, and and, and I would say um, they were probably a lot more creative with some of the other ways that they managed to get there this week. It still makes things a little bit awkward, um, but, you know, this if for one two out of three falls match on the show, I, I'm not going to be that upset. 
Especially for an Elias and Miz match being short. I don't think people you know, are going to be complaining that this didn't get 15 minutes. In many ways, like, I think having a two out of three falls match has helped some of the wrestling. Like, again, like I've said in previous reviews, we, we aren't seeing the same slow pace with the rear chin locks that just go on forever. Here, you got some rear chin locks from Elias, but they were a lot more aggressive. You you see both guys rushing, sprinting, basically, from beginning to end because everybody's trying to justify those pinfalls. So, in that sense, it's helped the the style of of... of Guys like Elias and The Miz. Yeah, I, and I, I think that they could uh, certainly you you run the risk of like short television matches, like kind of wearing thin on people. But I don't think we're in that period at the moment. I think people are looking for a faster paced show. And I don't think it's the worst idea that you kind of go through this as a test to see how people respond to it, how this affects the flow of the show. And you build up to you want your big match. It's every four weeks at the pay-per-view. And it was something on the AEW show on Saturday. Not the not an identical parallel, but for the Bucks and Omega, like I think one of the things they've done very well is the decision to limit their matches. So it feels like a big deal when these guys are wrestling. And it's going to come a time when they are doing the occasional television matches, but you're going to know that the big... Kenny Omega match or the big Young Bucks match, that's going to be on pay-per-view. It's going to be very rare that you're going to be seeing them doing big multi-segment matches every week on TV. And I think that's kind of where we've gotten to with a lot of the bigger names, like a Seth Rollins, for instance, that him doing a lengthy match. I don't know if that's um, out of the ordinary for people to see at the moment. Yeah, it's really not, and um, I, I I do wonder if if Kenny and the Bucks will, you know, if AEW will, will kind of like... Uh, be be that restrictive of of top talent if the plan is for them to do live shows live live to you know live live um um every wednesday or whichever day that they're doing their show for two hours and if they're presumably traveling with the entire crew can you see them having or limiting you know kenny and the bucks from wrestling i don't think you'll limit them from wrestling but i would say like it's going to be very rare that you would see like a, like a match that's going to be, you know, a, a big, you know, pay-per-view quality match that they're just going to throw it on TV. I could be wrong, but I think that that seems to be something that they want to make those matches feel special and not just the audience takes them for granted. Yeah, we shall see. So this ended, uh, this, the third fall went, um, they went Broadway here. Three minutes and 41 seconds for the third fall. They traded chops. Uh, Elias hit him with the crossroads, uh, but that wasn't going to keep him down. And then Elias hit a running knee into the post, and then Miz applied the figure four on the damaged knee, and Elias tapped out. So Miz wins the two out of three falls. So they have now split way two two out of three falls matches. So we got to have a best of seven at Extreme Rules, right? Seven falls? Yeah. <laughs> best of, wasn't that what they did at the Orange Cassidy show? Yes. Um, yes, why not? Sign me up for it. Uh, I, I, I also noticed in this match, I mean, aside from The Miz, there was a great deal of increased aggression from Elias. And I think it's, it's, it's again, for him, somebody who really needs it because he, it, it certainly elevates him from being, I would say, a pretty bad wrestler to at least a pretty average one. Yeah, the shorter matches help, uh, mm -hmm. I think, with Elias. Charlie was with Becky Lynch and Seth Rollins. They built this up, their, their interview together. And Seth mentions that they're thinking of Bobby and Braun. 
And Charlie mentions that, Seth, you've had quite the week. And asks if last week accepting this challenge from Baron and Lacey Evans for both titles to be on the line was a bit impulsive. And then we got this comedy bit that oh, made that Young Bucks one I talked about a goddamn award winner where Seth le- does this bit about whether he's impulsive or not. This this was so bad, dude. I thought it, I, th- I yeah. thought it. Yeah, I understood what he was doing. Everyone painfully understood what he was doing. The the comedic timing of Seth Rollins left a lot to be desired. It was terrible. It was really, really bad. Um, you know, I think Becky has been fine. And, you know, because this was... This is dragging Becky down. Like, yeah. she's got to play like, like, this is your boyfriend. And it was just... I don't know what it is. Like, these two together, it's a weird dynamic that... I don't think lifts either one up, but I think it brings Becky down. This segment certainly did. Well, I imagine it, in real life, it's it's incredibly awkward to, ha- you know, kind of get ha- be in a storyline with your new girlfriend. Let's be honest, like neither of them are great actors to begin with. Uh, and it's also completely like different from who their characters are supposed to be. That said, like, I was really curious to see how Becky would handle this because, you know, she her character is, I would say, um even even more unlikely for a relationship uh, on TV. But I thought she handled it well. Like, basically, the story is, or the character dynamic seems to be, Becky is is the normal one, and that um, Seth is sort of, like, the one that she has to straighten up because, you know, he, he's a bit messy. But still, that's... I don't know if either character really needs that right now. I don't. This is the number one babyface champion. I don't know if Becky Seth needs Rollins. it. I don't know if Seth Rollins needs it. Uh, they both need it, of course, because they're trying to build to this mixed tag, and that's the only reason why we're probably getting this right now. So I understand it, but God, like this was kind of awkward. Um, some pe- kind of some well, some people might find it cute. I don't know. Maybe there's like you know a different demographic that actually enjoys this. But I think I think Becky's fine, but I think Seth is just really bad at this. They bring up the fact that each could lose the other one's title in this match which Seth notes could be a problem because Becky sleeps with her title. It's become a bit of a problem. And then he says, maybe I got lucky. And Becky says, damn right you got lucky. Uh, if you did not see this segment, uh, please go watch <laughs> I it. I feel bad that you have to even recap it. Maybe we should recap it like we should read it like we each take a part. I couldn't make out the line, but he, he mentioned something about Becky sleeping with the title and it be uh, sexually becoming part of a problem. I rewound it. And then I was like, I, I don't even need to know what the context of this was. This is, this is awful. This was like a terrible, terrible promo segment for these two that are your, your, your two top champions. And well, listen, man. like, you remember like when, when uh, Austin uh, and Deborah had to like do stuff. I yes. thought they were like a country mile ahead of these two. It ended up working way better because that's when Austin turned heel. And I think as a heel, it absolutely works. But with both of them being baby faces and Becky still very much kind of like in that badass Steve Austin role as a baby face. Um, this is definitely different. And I can't necessarily say that it's clicked yet. I mean, is it completely, you know, uh, is it is it is there no potential for it? I don't know. Maybe they could find like a good dynamic for for the two of them in the weeks to come. That'll save it. But this fr- apart, what apart? <laughs> sure, but we, we can know they're dating, but they don't interact at the workplace. That'd be great. 
Yeah. Yeah. I think that works. As it was before. Yeah. That would be, let's get through this match, and then we go our separate ways. It's, it's acknowledged. They're a couple. We don't have to have it hit over our head yeah. every week that that's Seth's uh, girlfriend over there. She has a name. I think the two, that? yeah, I think you're right. I think the, the, what both characters should be is definitely reluctant to even acknowledge the relationship, but they have to do it because they've been forced to due to these heels. Um, right now it's just like them trying to be cute and almost like, I don't know, just trying to convey how, how, um, quirky they are together, which I don't know if it's the right tone for either, either character. Yeah. I, I don't know if, um, Breakout star and quirky are the are the the the, the characteristics you, you that are often attached at the hip with one another. But then, as this ends, in walks Maria Canellis. Yeah, out of nowhere, uh, literally out of nowhere. Maria Canellis takes issue with them, calling themselves the first couple of WWE. She said that Becky may have beat Ronda Rousey at WrestleMania. But she pushed an eight-pound baby out of her uterus. And she's not impressed by Seth either. As Mike walks in and said, and Maria says, maybe tonight me and my bitch, referring to Mike, can take on you, Becky. Or sorry, you, Seth, and yours, referring to Becky. And Becky storms off after accepting the challenge. And Seth looks at Maria and Mike and says, y'all done messed up. Oh, man. So bad. Does being in love like make you say like really bad lines? I TV? I want I want to know Seth Rollins' exact demeanor when he read these lines and he looked down and said, What would John say in this? Not me, John Moxley. I, I think he was like, you know what? He made some value. He made some salient points in that that Jericho interview. This is really rough stuff for Seth. Like Seth is not to me a difficult character to understand, but tonight was a clear indication of where you don't have to go with this guy. Like this is not necessary. I I mean they think it's necessary for this one month because they have this match to build towards, and they're going way overboard with it, reminding you all the time that the, that these two are a couple, couple scripting set like this. Um, I definitely think they're overdoing like he, it. Like he, is, he is Bret Hart to me. He's Bret Hart. That should be your prototype of Seth. Bret Hart in 93. Oh, you don't think, like, uh, Bret's wife would have <laughs> come in for a match like this, and Bret would have said, you done screwed up, or... <laughs> well... Y'all done messed up. It's actually, uh, it is now July 2nd. It's Bret Hart's birthday. Well, happy birthday. I'm sure he's listening. <laughs> uh, Maria Canellis, though, I I love that they went to that well and, and brought her out from out of nowhere, literally, like for, uh, out of 205 Live for this. Can, can I just say that the emergence of Mike here, now this, this can make sense. I'm not saying it's completely illogical, but last week on 205 Live, Mike Canellis... He loses his match. He had, uh, who did he have the match with? It was against uh, nice. Jack Gallagher. Oh, right. Yeah, okay. he had, he, last week it was against Jack Gallagher. He loses the match, and he says he quits. And he leaves without Maria. He walks up the, through the crowd and leaves, and Maria just watches him leave, and then she walks to the back. And that's the last we see of them. Like, they part, 
and we're under the impression that Mike has quit. Um, I guess in storyline, you can explain that he quit 205 Live to get onto Raw now, which I would say many guys on 205 Live should now realize that's a hell of a loophole. And anyway, that was not addressed on this show, but that was what was happening the last we saw these two on 205 Live. Yeah, yeah. I I wonder if this was always in the works for the two of them. Um, but it seems to be a call up, it, not just a call up, but a storyline. Well, his Mike's whole character is that Drake Maverick is too busy being on Raw, chasing after this title, and he's neglecting his responsibilities on Two Hundred Five Live. And now, in essentially, Mike is now doing the exact same thing, going to Raw. So I don't know if this was uh, all that planned out, but. Especially, this feels like an enormous promotion for Maria Kanellis, as we will get into in this next match. And I'm really glad, because um, clearly she's more than capable uh, as a performer to be uh, on Raw. Um, so, yeah, in one segment, I thought she showed you know, her abilities really, really well. And, and also, the use of the word bitch, I think, to me, was another indicator that they were aiming for a bit more of a mature tone. Um, I, didn't th- I didn't think it was that bad. It was fine. You know what? They watched that Tony Khan scrum, and they asked him, oh, we saw some uh, some thumbtacks, blood, and swearing. Can we expect that on TNT? Oh, no, 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 no. That will not be on TNT. And they were like, wait a minute. We got an opening here. Yeah. Holy shit and bitch. I want them on the show on Monday. Sure. Your thumbtacks, too, then. Well, you got to wait till next week. Maybe Extreme Rules. Yeah. This, I believe was Maria's first match on Raw in 10 years and Mike Bennett's first match on Raw ever. Really? Wow. Yes. Okay. Because when he when they first came, they were on SmackDown when they actually had a brand split. And then Mike has been on main event and 205 Live duty pretty much ever since. So right. uh, he may have appeared on Raw, but he has never, I believe, had a match on Raw. So a historical match that we are about to review. They also inform us uh, before the match itself that Braun Strowman may have a ruptured spleen. A ruptured spleen? Yeah, doesn't sound good. No, uh, I guess uh, an upgrade from no use of your legs, which is what Corey was concerned about. Yeah. Maria starts yelling at Mike immediately after Rollins gets the better of him. The crowd is chanting for Becky. And got a big reaction when she was tagged in. But Maria runs away. And the idea here is that Maria is just pissed at Mike for being bad at his job. And Maria grabs a microphone. And she's tapping it incessantly because it's not on. And starts yelling at Mike for not being able to mop the floor. Just like he can't mop the floor when he's at home. And then as Becky goes to go after Maria, she yells that she's pregnant and they cut to Mike who is shocked. Becky holds up. Mike then asks, how? And Maria says, how am I pregnant? I'm not sure because I don't think you're man enough to get me pregnant. Mm -hmm. And this ends with Becky going back into the ring, applying the disarmor onto Mike of blatant disregard of the rules. And Mike taps out at three and a half minutes. So Becky and Seth win. Afterwards, Maria calls Mike a disappointment, cannot believe he is the father of her children, and the only man 
here tonight was the man. And maybe next time, she'll ask Becky Lynch to impregnate her. Yeah. Yeah. Um, <laughs> I, Please, Way. The floor is yours. I... <laughs> I don't know really where this came from, but um, I, I think if their goal was to show a, a tonal shift with uh, Paul Heyman attached to the to the brand, I think they were successful. This was certainly a bit of a callback to not only you know the Attitude Era, but I would say maybe Heyman works in the of the past specifically. Um, I don't know how much it really worked for me. Um, I felt like it was a little try hard to like be provocative. Uh, by having Maria Canellas basically, you know, I don't know, just call him a bitch. Um, you know, have have lines like, uh, "How could I don't know how you could get me pregnant because you're not a man," such and such. I'll say it was captivating, and and that's certainly an improvement over I think what cer- certain things we've seen in the past, uh, recent weeks on Raw. Um, I'll give it a chance. Let's let's see where it goes. I'm not so sure I like it right now, but let, let's see where it goes. I'm happy they're on TV. I think Maria is a fantastic performer. I think that if you can get her closer, like when she was on Impact, she was one of the strongest performers on Impact. Uh, like a great presence, great promo, and I think that she should have a bigger role than than she had ha- had previously. Um, it seems like this gimmick is just going to be like you know the the tortured husband that is just berated by his wife, um, <laughs> that will lie about her pregnancy, and. My biggest gripe with this is that at the end of this segment, everything was about Maria and your two main champions were complete afterthoughts in this segment. And I don't think you should ever have Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch be afterthoughts in a segment, even winning this. Like this was a segment completely designed around Maria and to a lesser extent, Mike Bennett. Yeah, I mean, they almost seem to be the priority here, you know, establishing these two as new characters with the storyline rather than promoting Becky and Seth for that main event at Extreme Rules. Um, this is, I don't know, this is a new new story that they want to push. Charlie is completely confused backstage reacting to this, and Paul Heyman walks in and gets an enormous reaction from the Dallas crowd. Uh, he says... It's been a weird night for Seth and a bad night for Kofi, and perhaps Brock Lesnar is here. He was not, and the Street Profits returned, and they did. They went right back into their promo, which resulted in Heyman walking off, and they yell for Heyman to come back and start singing brock a baby Yeah. Is that it? Uh, that was that was it. I mean, this was all in the delivery, and these guys were great. Yeah, yeah. I mean, these guys have been in a lot of segments. We also didn't mention that uh, earlier in the show, they actually appeared in the form of a cutaway that looked to be, whether or not intentional, um, it was meant to look like an error. Um, I don't know how it would have been an error if they were perfectly lit in front of that shot and seemed to be, you know, perfectly, like, doing something rather than, like, just standing around waiting for the cameras to roll on, but... It, it it was also um yeah you know, if that was deliberate i i like that sure it it's yeah. like you're rewarding people for catching like what they did with the uh the braze puppets the last week on tv it's like if you were paying attention good for you you cut you you get a bonus i guess so yeah yeah i th- i thought it was interesting which were not on tonight's show were they 
They might have been. I, I I never noticed them until after the fact. But um, you know, like three segments with these guys, I I felt like this was a very impactful call up for them. Um, yeah. Moment of bliss was next. Uh, again, they acknowledge Bobby and Braun, and Alexa's thoughts are with them. She introduces her best friend Nikki Cross and says, "None of this would be possible without Alexa." And she's just so excited to be on the show. When Carmella comes out. And she asks, why is Alexa getting the title shot when Cross pinned Bailey? And what is Bliss giving you in return for that? Bliss just cuts her off, saying, you are just our true sidekick now. And Carmella challenges her to a match where she'll show her a sidekick. And we got a match. Pretty good, I thought. I, I was like, that was a good line. Yeah. I will show you a sidekick. Um. Alexa ran into the ring at Carmella and was rolled up in seven seconds. Yeah. Well, yeah. It's it's either this or we'll be back after this. You could have. This could have been the first fall of a two or three falls match. Seven seconds. They were being creative with it. Um. Again, this this was part of a larger picture. They came back from break. Now it was Carmella against Nikki Cross, and Cross was unable to hit the high cross. And then knocked down Carmella with a kick and one with a spinning neckbreaker in 243. So Nikki is able to do what Alexa couldn't again. And they play Nikki's music and then it turns to Alexa's music as she celebrates with Nikki in the ring. Yeah, the idea is to show that um, Alexa continues to take uh, basically um, credit for Nikki's wins. Uh, but it's also to show that Nikki is better than Alexa in ring and that she is more deserving of the title shot than she is. To get to that point, though, you really kind of have to like take everything that you know about traditional booking and just completely throw it out the window. Because you would assume Ale- Carmella beating Alexa would somehow insert her into the, 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 the title match or something like that. Certainly not the case. Uh, Nikki beating Carmella after that, you would, I guess, assume that maybe she's got some uh, title contention abilities as well. But... It's it's different. It's just kind of, you have to see it from the WWE's perspective. And then Sarah Schreiber interviewed them afterwards and just an A1 shit disturber, Sarah Schreiber, asks Nikki right in front of Alexa, what is your reaction to the WWE universe that wants you to face Bailey instead of Alexa Bliss at Extreme Rules? And Alexa cuts her off and says, no comment, mm-hmm. bitch. Yeah, she didn't get that one in. But, uh, yeah, you see where they're they're building this up towards. Yeah, so to really get to that point, to you know where the audience wants to see Nikki face Bailey instead of Alexa, they decided to use two segments. One of which was uh, Carmella pinning Alexa, and then having Nikki pin Carmella to illustrate that. Yeah, it's a little the convoluted. loser of them all is getting the title match. Oh, yeah. Yes, it's a little bit convoluted. Switch it up. It's a little bit convoluted, but at least they fit in two commercial breaks in there. Drake and Renee are leaving for the honeymoon. Renee goes off and the geeks run through chasing, looking for R-Truth. And Drake is standing there on his own when R-Truth comes out of hiding and he's just staring at him. And he's noting to Drake how tired he is from running all night. And Drake just can't resist. He takes his luggage and nails R-Truth. A referee shows up, he pins him, and he holds up the title, 
And he tells Renee that now they can go on their honeymoon and do it 24 <laughs> seven and they leave. And we're probably going to get, I would imagine we're going to get a bunch of spots where it's Drake is on his honeymoon with the title. And Renee is the one tagging along. His real honeymoon is with the belt. So you're going to see him doing all these coupley things with the belt. That'd be great. Yeah. I'd love to see that. Um, all of this was great today. Um, I thought it was all very well done. A great follow-up to that wedding angle. But, you know, even here, uh, this thing was, like, stretched out to, what, like, three solid segments? Beginning, middle, and end. I thought all of it good. And I'm sure Vince McMahon, this is, like, exactly the type of story that's probably right up his alley as well. So I'm sure everybody involved had a great time putting this together. He's going to consummate it with the with the championship. <laughs> Between that and the pregnancy angle, like, I mean, I'm sure he loved the show. Ricochet versus AJ Styles, main event for the United States title. Uh, they start off at a pretty hot pace. There's a standing shooting star by Ricochet, and he lands on the knees, gets cradled for a two count. Styles is working subtly as the heel in this match, and the audience is pretty hot. There's a Fosbury flop onto AJ, and then back into the ring, AJ's on the apron and catches him with the phenomenal forearm. He covers ricochet who puts his bottom foot under the rope and or his foot under the bottom rope and the referee does not see the foot counts three in two minutes and 22 seconds and they assume that aj has won the title the second referee comes in they're conversing and we go to i would say a natural commercial break where you are not sure if you have seen the title change or not yeah i mean i would say as natural as you know a two-minute match would be between these two but yes a dusty finish to go to a commercial break they're really kind of going to the playbook to pull out every trick out there they come back and now anderson and gallows are ringside and the match is restarted where they have i guess instituted instant replay so the match continues uh, a phoenix splash is attempted by ricochet he does not hit it aj sent to the floor and ricochet goes for another fosbury flop this time aj's out of the way and Ricochet lands on his feet, and it just looked amazing. AJ hits this diving forearm to the floor, brings him into the ring, hits him with a bloody Sunday, and then a rack bomb for a two-count. And then Ricochet rolls through on Styles and is able to cradle him and catches him with the cover in, wait for it, three minutes and 35 seconds. And Ricochet retains the title. They are now one apiece. And first of all, uh, your thoughts on the two... Very quick matches between the two that were a grand total of six minutes. Very brief matches, but I thought uh, very good brief matches. I don't know if you're going to see a better three or two and a half minute match than, you know, what you saw between these two. Flawless execution between both of them. I mean, you almost kind of get the sense that you're seeing like AJ facing a younger version of himself just in terms of just the gracefulness of the high flying and excellent execution of everything that they attempted. So... Worth watching if you're into three-minute matches, I guess. But more so worth watching because of the closing angle. They shake hands, and then Anderson and Gallows get onto the apron, and they're mocking them, shaking hands. And Styles is staring at them with Ricochet behind him. He gives them a look, and then he turns, and he decks Ricochet with a right hand. He goes to town on him, stomping him. Anderson and Gallows hit the magic killer. Styles then is handed off. Uh, Ricochet as he's on the second turnbuckle and hits a Styles Clash off the buckle. Um, 
which he did to Naito at uh, Wrestle Kingdom 9, uh, and it's done to others. And they do the two sweet together, and then Styles mounts on him, and he goes to hit him with more punches. And as much as we can talk about changes on this show, don't worry. We still have our ridiculous camera cuts. Every single punch that AJ delivered, we had to go from in front of AJ to behind AJ with each successive punch. Well, I mean, I was—I I felt like Ricochet by the end of this. Would you have preferred the high-angle static camera for all this? Uh, that would have been wonderful. Yes. Yeah. I mean, you know, for all the changes that maybe we're talking about, we, you know, it's still the same people shooting and, and directing the show. Oh, that, that was that was punctuated at the end of this show. So that ended the show. Hot angle, yeah. turning AJ. Um, I think a, a good change of pace for AJ oh. to be paired with, uh, like, literally uh, lifesavers sent to Carl Anderson, Luke Gallows, and Maria Kanellis. And to uh, maybe Mike Bennett as well on this show. Absolutely. Yeah. I mean, you know, knowing that I guess uh, uh, Maria and Mike Kanellis have re-signed, that makes sense. Do you have any idea what the status of uh, Gallows and Anderson might be? contractually uh, they there would been no word of them resigning right. um as of yet their contracts are up later this year so yeah um you know all, yeah. yeah all really interesting to to consider to think about uh with decisions like this but it absolutely helps those guys of course gives them a new edge as the ones who basically brought aj to the dark side i think it renews aj's set of opponents uh, gives him a, a bit of an edge too, because let's be honest, over the past year he hasn't necessarily been in the spotlight. Uh, already lost that match to Seth Rollins, so he's kind of being looked at as a bit of a second tier, uh, 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 you know, um, babyface. So making him a top heel is definitely a great change. Uh, gives this Ricochet program new life, and I thought in this final segment gave Ricochet a ton of sympathy. You know, Ricochet closing Raw two two uh two weeks in a row with wins. I think it has been doing has been great for him. So every everybody benefited from this. Um, they fit in a commercial break in there. Congratulations, you found out another way to put uh, put a commercial break into your match. And uh, yeah, it was, I, I uh, thought the commercial was fine. In the like, I understand like they have to force these in there, but for you know a disputed end, they have to go check the replay. I, I didn't my, – my new test is if someone new was watching this show, would they come out of it knowing that this is a rule that they have put in place? And I think the last two weeks, you would absolutely know something up – something was up. Um, and this week, I thought that they did, for the most part, I, I think a much more fluid job of getting to these breaks uh, for with a reason as opposed to – force feeding them maybe with the exception of Miz and Elias that I don't know how you can really get around that well they have to work really hard every single week to come up with these scenarios and I look forward to seeing on Tuesday what scenarios they might come up with that aren't two out of three falls matches or elimination matches that'll uh, manage to fit a break in there um they're gonna have to do this every single week John like every main event oh yeah it's it like it was you know like I've heard like it is a nightmare putting these together like it's not uh, walk in the park, just like all the thinking that has to go into all this. SmackDown, you would think, should be easier, not just because of the length of the show being shorter, but you also have those two matches that you can't allow because they run with the picture-in-picture picture right. on USA. That that alone, there's two matches that you, you do have an out that you can do the commercial break-in, 
And really, like, the rest of the show should be shorter matches, and then you have a main event that maybe you need to come up with something for. Yeah, yeah. I mean, I'm sure maybe contractually they have something that states, okay, this commercial break needs to happen here. Because otherwise, I I would at least love to see, like, a 15-minute block uninterrupted or just a 12-minute long match uninterrupted. That would be awesome. Uh, Raw started, it was, like, 13 minutes, 14 minutes with that open. Right. Yeah, I mean, it makes me wonder if, like, there's anything preventing them from doing that for the closing angle or closing minutes as well. I'm not sure. Um, but I thought Raw overall was good, like, way better than previous weeks. I felt like, you know, people, even, like, uh, um, uh, the Street Profits um, came out of this, like, gaining a whole lot. I thought the closing angle with the club and Ricochet was excellent. Um, the 24 seven stuff with truth and Drake was very good. Um, I would say even the taker like promo was, was inoffensive. And of course the opening I thought was, was, was fantastic. Yeah. I mean, this was a very, very fast paced raw. It was, you know, I think they grabbed your attention right from the get go and they didn't let, let up. I mean, there were like, honestly, the biggest thing I disliked on this show was stuff involving Seth Rollins and Becky Lynch, which was surprising but maybe not um but you you know it that was a bad promo that was a bad segment right at least it's not a bad storyline or like a whole bad like i don't know like drake maverick pissing his pants or something like that you know that was just like maybe a poorly written kind of like poorly acted out interview yeah I, i would say that and it extended to their involvement in the match too like it just seemed like they didn't have um a whole lot to do with this mixed tag. Like it does feel like they are kind of pumping the brakes on this. Like this is just, let's get through another week of television and blow off this, this story at extreme rules. Like that just feels where they're biding their time and then can set these two off for their SummerSlam programs. Mm -hmm. So it's temporary. At least that's how it feels. Um, Yeah. I think that it's going to be very intriguing over the next few days to kind of get stories out of, how this Raw Rose run, who were the ones with like kind of the the vital input, who were the ones that like had what level of impact Paul Heyman had on this show uh, or, or lack thereof. I think all this stuff will be um, interesting stuff that I'm sure will be known in the next little few, probably a few days. I'll also say like this was a three hour show that didn't feel like three hours to me. Like and that in itself, I think, should be commended. You know, this I never felt like this show dragged at all. Um, yeah, and we have a lot of response to people who checked in on this show. Um, I'm curious why last week we had Raw that did about 2.2 million viewers. It was hardly a strong number. Do you have any prediction on, on what you think this show generated? 2,276,000 viewers last week. I think it will do better than that. Um, I think there is heightened interest coming out of the news over the weekend whether how much like how far that that news might have reached to the outside of our bubble i'm not so sure but at this point i imagine a lot of people tuning out are part of the bubble so th- i i would think that they would have at least some curiosity interest so i would think that it would probably uh do considerably better i mean maybe not that much better but like definitely better than last week is is my guess you I think that you're going to get a moderate increase. I don't think that it's going to be some crazy increase. Um, but if we're looking at 2,276,000, I could see them, you know, improving like 250,000 viewers. Kind of, I'm looking at like small increases that ultimately for this show to gain 
newer viewers, it's like you're going to have to be doing long term stories and building up over weeks, if not months and months of um, quality shows that are going to bring people in. And I think tonight, if you were tuning in looking for something different, I think you would have left this show satisfied that you got a different raw, you got a different pacing to the show and some new characters introduced and a different presentation of some other characters as well. And I think that that's ultimately it was it was a step forward, but I, I don't think you can proclaim that this is a, a different company in one show or get out of control or anything like that. What do you think the board voted? I'm going to say they were high on this. I'm going to say a 7.5. Yeah, I would think 7.2. A 6.74. So, a, a, a slow uh, build. Mm-hmm. For, for a Raw on our forum, that's a, that is a good number. Yes. All right, let's get into your feedback. We start off with AJ. Raw was fun tonight. Not everything was great, but overall, I felt like I didn't waste three hours of a Monday night, and that's a win. Not really sure where this Maria Canella stuff goes. That segment was probably the low point of the show. Happy to see Styles back as a heel with the club. Do you think they work Finn in? I feel like his character could use a good heel run. Um, I don't feels like you, it feels like it's one or the other between yeah. AJ and Finn. And I think that this benefits, uh, AJ Anderson and Gallows better with the three of them than Balor involved. Well, they never really had a proper feud, AJ and Finn. They only had that one match cause, uh, uh somebody got injured that time and they never had a proper feud, but this kind of is sets that up perfectly. You know, the brand split is no longer a thing. Uh, makes you wonder if AJ might perhaps win the U.S. belt. If he doesn't, then maybe he'll go after the IC belt. But I think an AJ Styles with Gallows and Anderson versus Finn Balor feud is is actually really enticing. So I don't think he'll be joining. We got a Paul from New Jersey who says, Holy Attitude Era tonight. Do you want pregnancy angles and electrocutions? We got you covered. Do you want to hear us say shit and bitch again? You've come to the right place. Seth and Becky are downright cringeworthy together on screen. I nominate that entire segment for one of the worst of the year. I'm enjoying the 24-7 segment, so there is that. This company needs to find its identity. Mark writes, A better-than-average show in terms of booking and pacing, but was it just me, or was the scripting and characterizations of or about women really juvenile on this episode? That's one of the less well-regarded and less often-talked-about parts of the legacy of ECW in the Attitude Era as well. In the current era where women's wrestling and stories have been a saving grace, I hope the better women the better women characterizations stay with whatever changes are happening. Uh, did you sense that way? Well, I mean, I think Mark's referring to the Maria Canellis uh, pregnancy thing. Um, maybe the hot Asian wife comment, perhaps. Uh, were there any other things that might have might have been w- without context? Like the Anderson line just comes out of like nowhere. It yeah. does sound strange. Like this guy's just uh, offering his wife up. Yeah, uh, yeah, maybe those two things. You know, like you. I guess the question is, would that have existed last week and maybe weeks prior uh, without? Perhaps the idea of Paul Heyman being attached to it. I think ultimately, um, it would not have surprised me if they would have done the the Maria Canella stuff prior. Um, mm. But it was certainly something very different from the tone that they have been introducing. But it was like I, I feel like that's going to be one of the big topics discussed coming out of this episode of Raw is Maria Canellas, and for better or worse, that they will take as a win. 
Yeah, she could end up being the, the librarian of, of this episode of Raw. But we shall oh, see. Wow. We got a Nick from Arizona who says, I got a rare night with the wife out of the house and decided to watch Raw Live for the first time in a very long time. And I got to say, I'm not too pissed at my decision. That opening segment was hands down the best of 2019, if not the best of a co- the last couple of years. While the holy shit from Corey may have been a slip, it was re- refreshing to hear something genuine. I don't. I don't think no, it, was it was not a slip. a slip. It was Corey. That, if, if he thought it was a slip, then Corey did a great job. They've got a delay on the broadcast, so not a slip. He, uh, he says, uh, sure, some parts dragged. Lacey and Corbin, I'm looking at you. But overall, a real solid raw. And if this really is the work of Heyman, I'm happy with the start. And hope they keep this up. An 8 out of 10. Kevin from Puerto Rico. Great raw. The club is back. And I hope they can have a better push this time. I love the podcast. And I just want to know... Just want to know, who do you guys think is going to win the G1? Well, you'll have to tune into our primer this week, Kevin. <laughs> All right, we got The Wolf who says, I feel like most people will be comparing today's show to what we've been given the last few months. And I can see there's some improvement, but I just don't think there was one match I would recommend someone to actually watch. Maybe the last match with AJ bringing the club back, but honestly, the need for a commercial break really undermined the whole idea of the foot under the rope. There seemed to be an overall tone regarding women I really didn't like. I can't explain it, but it felt like women weren't strong roles and characters. Just what their role was in comparison to a man they are with. Becky to Seth, Lacey to Baron, Maria to her guy, Carmella to Truth. I actually felt like many of the mixed matches from last year's mixed match challenge handled a woman and man team up, team up better. As both always felt individually strong, I could be wrong there as it's been a while. Well, for one thing, like, I mean, you know, two of the feuds you're you're talking about, actually all three interactions were kind of uh, in relation to the main event that they're setting up at Extreme Rules, which is uh, a mixed tag match where you have a man teaming up with a woman. So I think inevitably you're going to get some of those uh, characters. You can certainly criticize perhaps how Becky and Lacey are being... Uh, portrayed in comparison to their men. But I don't know if I would necessarily agree that they were portrayed as inferior or that their identities solely kind of like, you know, depended on their relation to, to their men. Like it was Becky. Becky is like the, 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 the normal one in the relationship. She's positioned to be the actual man in the relationship. And Lacey, you kind of very much get the idea that she's kind of leading Baron Corbin around as well. I can definitely see your point with Maria. Um, Carmella, though, that's that's just kind of always been her character, really. Um, I'll say, though, if you reverse, uh, okay, throw out the, the pregnancy line and everything, but if it was uh, Mike berating Maria like that, I think people would have a different re- response to that. Oh, of course. Yeah. So, I mean, in that sense, it was Maria being kind of the, the domineering one that was, you know... Um, Again, the aggressor in the relationship with the two. And Mike is just the one that is... like I think people would have a much bigger problem if it was the other way around. Well, perhaps... Yeah. Berating his wife like that. Maybe it's the idea that, you know, here's a woman perhaps making up her pregnancy as something that may, might not necessarily be, you know, fit with the whole kind of like, uh, I don't know, progressive evolu- woman's evolution type of, uh, uh, I don't know direction that they've been trying to sell for female characters. Gordon from Scotland just watched my first full raw, maybe this year without falling asleep. I felt the show flowed well. And even though it 
may have slowed in the middle, what was happening did make a coherent, semi-logical story. I see people complaining about the ad breaks. If no one had said it was a thing before tonight's episode, I don't think many would have noticed. It's now 4 a.m. and time to sleep, but genuinely happy I have tickets to Raw when it rolls into Glasgow in November. We get a Jay from Colorado who says, Promising show tonight. Not everything was great, but I'm glad I tuned in for a change. Did you guys see the WWE Instagram page made a huge mistake in the Street Profits announcement by writing the NXT Tag Team Champions AEW on Raw tonight? Um, Yeah, I saw this on Instagram. It was interesting. Huge story. Huge. Well, I mean, you can look at it. I mean, I, I would think that it was probably just some interns autocorrect but it's a huge mistake to make on an autocorrect so i never really kind of like um dismiss any ideas of what might be going on so whatever it's it's it, it's it's there make it jay from dallas jay was at the show live it was a good show overall live crowd was into most of the show uh, reacted huge to the stunt in the Falls Count Anywhere match and also to The Undertaker. During some commercial breaks, they had superstars come out and entertain the crowd. The Lucha House Party came out and threw candy. Hawkins and Ryder talked about their experience at WrestleMania 32 in Dallas. And Dana Brooke got the crowd to participate in the fan cam that you typically see at sporting events. The show felt different, and that's all you can ask for. Eight out of ten. Yeah. You know, as far as, like, the Instagram thing, I in the end, like, it got you to see this post about the street profits. Um, so I don't know. Maybe, maybe that's all there is to that. We go to Roger who says after the big announcements last week, I thought I'd give Rod another chance for the first time in months, at least to see if there would be any further information given. While I didn't get that, I did get something I didn't quite expect a halfway decent raw. Although the show wasn't perfect, it didn't seem to be as bad as the shows you guys have been reviewing lately. I was really into the Falls Count Anywhere match, and as soon as Corey exclaimed, Holy shit! I started laughing so loud to my wife, who hates wrestling, came from the other room to see what was going on. I rewinded to show her the angle, and she immediately asked, Was that real? I'm sorry to report I did indeed kill F- Kayfabe for her. I kind of regret it. Six out of ten. Oh, are you saying his spleen might be okay? Uh, he's Roger's saying that. Yeah. So Brian from New York. Wow. That was a fun raw ridiculous stunt to start the night to draw us in a world champion losing and it meaning a ton because he's been unstoppable for months. Drake Mavericks chase for the, does he mean Kofi? Uh, what? Oh, a world champion losing and it meaning a ton because well, he did. He lost the fall last week. So we're already there We we can beat Kofi now. Yeah, uh, Drake Maverick's chase for the 24-7 title being so good he may have gotten his wife a job with WWE and of course the much desired reunion of the club to give us our first major US title feud in a while it's a start but more of this will go a long way MJ from what did I just watch show starts with a moment that will be relived forever in highlight packages and it was executed great Graves drops a holy shit. Announcers laid out after. New camera angle. A vintage taker entrance and promo. A smart finish to the New Day match. A spotlight on C and D list talent on the roster in segments that seemingly gave them storylines. Two show long storylines with payoffs in Mr. 24-7 in the club. I have to give the show a 10 just by comparison to what feels like years of bullshit. Was it that simple to just present a good three-hour Raw? Surely it can't be that easy. Tonight was entertaining, flowed mostly well and logical. While I can't expect everything to be great, I'll settle for more enjoyable segments than not. I gotta think Heyman will get all the credit for this, and I don't know if that's true, but whatever. Hats off to WWE for doing the seemingly impossible. 
Yeah, that's it's probably too easy a characterization to just pin this on one person. Like this is ultimately, I think, a week where they knew they had to come in and and do something big because they don't have too many of these uh, rabbits that they can just pull out to to reset the programming. And they pulled a big one last week, and I think they had to come in this week and be much more open minded to ideas. And we know at the end of this, this was a show that. Vince McMahon has to sign off on. So um, the level of influence with Heyman, I think that'll bear itself out. But certainly uh, this week, it's going to have a lot of, I feel, positivity coming out of this show. Mm-hmm. And the last one is Zeki from Toronto. I thought Corey's swear line was both delayed and too slow in delivery to be authentic. If an announcer uses a swear word, it should be immediate. He should have reacted in shock and momentarily disregarded all the standards and practices. I, I didn't even give too much thought to the line. It was just it was just a line just to get the angle over. So that was that. Um, yeah, so largely, I, I think uh, many people enjoying the show tonight, Way, which is uh, more than we can say for a lot of Raw episodes this year. I It's hard for me to think to the last time uh, when I feel like Raw has been met with this level of positivity. So they're definitely in the right track. You've never sounded this happy on a Monday night. Well, talk to me on Tuesday. Okay, well, there we go. We are going to see what uh, what to expect on SmackDown. Um, Eric Bischoff is moving to Stamford, Connecticut. Wow. So, I mean, this, this is not some just... Um, just job that is just... It's not just some title that's being thrown. Like, Eric Bischoff is... Like he is moving him and his wife to Stanford, so this is a serious role that he is taking. It. I mean, Paul Heyman already lives not all that far from. I mean, he's there in New York, so doesn't have to uproot himself or anything. But for Bischoff, like this is a that's that's a major commitment that you're uprooting yourself. Definitely, yeah. So we'll see what they have to offer. Yes. Uh, so that is going to wrap things up for us. I want to thank everyone for tuning in. Tuesday night, we will be back with Rewind to SmackDown. We will chat about a Raw from San Antonio. Uh, if we have some time, I also want to chat about this interview that Kevin Owens did with Lillian Garcia that I found to be a really interesting discussion that Kevin Owens had about uh, the struggles he has had over the last two years of his career and feels like he's still going through them. So it's a real interesting conversation, and Kevin Owens is... I would say more open than a lot of people would be in his position about the frustrations that he's gone through in WWE, but never being negative on the company, just trying to kind of understand the landscape and how he can thrive in it. And it's it can drive a lot of people crazy. Interesting. I'll check it out. Cool. All right. So thanks to everyone for joining. Uh, you can go check out all the latest news at postwrestling.com. And of course, postwrestlingcafe.com. That is where you can sign up. Uh, it is a new month. You can get all of our library of shows going back to 2017 and be all set for the G1 this year. That's postwrestlingcafe.com. And we'll speak with you on Tuesday night.